you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated podcast presented by BearsIllustrated.com, your home for Bale athletics and recruiting on 24-7 sports. We're coming to you after Baylor's loss to BYU yesterday, last night, and it was one of the tougher losses I remember experiencing as a Baylor fan. Um, I mean, double overtime, but also just the way it happened, like missed kicks, mistakes, and then just not letting not taking chances with Blake Shapin. Um, felt like we left a lot out there last night. Yeah, it sure, it sure did. Um, I think our Daily Bears tweeted out afterwards, you know, I, I, I don't know the last time, you know, somebody rushed the field on us. Um, and, and I was trying to rock my brains and, uh, and I can't recall that, um, either. I think Texas Tech actually rushed the field against us in 2020 when we when we lost there. So um but but yeah, it was it was a great game went into the wee hours of the morning, but I was Pranay, I, w- I was amped the whole time and I I, I needed a few hours to unwind uh, af- afterwards, but I think I think you you and I both have a lot of takeaways, but I also think we kind of called this game from the start. We knew exactly what to expect and where the, you know, critical points were going to be uh, that Baylor had to work on in order to win and, and, um, and why we felt, you know, BYU was really a top 15, top 10 team and that going on the road was going to be no joke uh, to basically start the season. Yeah. Um, BYU was just as good as I expected, if not better. And the big battle that this game was expected to come down to was in the trenches and Baylor's strength is supposed to be our offensive line versus BYU's. No, no, no. BYU's offensive line versus our defensive line. Defense line. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think it came down to actually our offensive line. Um, not, not being, the absolute unit that it was last year and that I thought it was going to be this year as well. And in the first two games, because we talked about this after the Albany game, that they didn't look as good as we thought they would. And again, they weren't bad, but they were not the top five, top 10 unit even that they should be with all the talent that they have there. And I mean, and then Blake Shapin just not being 
able to be a gunslinger, not having that opportunity, especially at the end of the game. I think that there's no reason to name him starter over Gary Bohannon if we're not going to change the offense at all and play to his strengths. Yeah, I think there's a lot to digest and break down. Um, but but let's start with the offensive line. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I, I really didn't see it as as they played all that poorly. Um, I, I know that Shapin was uh, basically sacked. Um, God, how many times was he sacked? Uh, about, four, I think, four four sacks. He was hurried five times. He had three balls deflected. Um and, and he was definitely pressured. He did not look comfortable right from the beginning where he had to spend a time out on, on one of the first drives that Baylor had. Uh, so Shaven didn't look comfortable. And I think this, this spiraled uh, for Baylor offensively. They just could not get in a groove, could not get in a rhythm, uh, couldn't get in that rhythm to take the deep shots that they, that they wanted to take. Um, really, it reminded me a little bit of the Oklahoma State um, game in Stillwater last year where, you know, Baylor really, their defense kept them in the game, right? They, uh, they used a good solid rushing attack to, to at least put some points on the board. And, um, but at the end of the day, Gary Bohannon and company just could not get on the same page in a, in a really loud, loud environment. And that's, that's all it looked like to me uh, last night, uh, B- Blake Shapin is in his fourth career a collegiate start and and it's in probably one of the toughest environments um to play in college football uh, uh you know that's that's a tall ask and it, and it was interesting that he just could never get on the same page and you know Pranay, I, we lo- Baylor lost some key players they lost Tay uh, Tay McWilliams and Monterey Baldwin both left with injuries. Uh, Quaylen Jones was was hobbling by the end of the night, and and honestly, remember in the Big Twelve Championship game, Chapin took some hits and actually injured his shoulder in that game that you know kept him out of the Sugar Bowl. Um, and so in the second half, he did not. He you know I think threw six passes in the second half of the Big Twelve Championship game last year. So this isn't this isn't anything new or out of the ordinary in our small sample size that we have, but I, it does beg the question of, I wonder if, you know, Blake was hurt a little bit. Um, obviously there's crowd noise and it was loud. Um, some other guys went out and then there was indecisiveness because of Blake's youth. But I wonder if, if he was, you know, hurt a little bit um, or, or just, you know, wasn't all wasn't all right to where the coaches felt like they had to take it out of his hands because I would have preferred to see the ball in his hands but um some of the pressures that he had I I I think was a result due to those those three things rather than um the offensive line just not 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 doing a good job uh let's hope not let's hope he's not injured at all but it would certainly make more sense if something if he tweaked something or got hurt during the game I I haven't seen anything about him potentially having gotten hurt but um I guess it's definitely a possibility and and you're absolutely correct that BYU's crowd was a massive factor in this game I mean those Uh, fans those fans came out like 
one of the best crowds I have seen. And I mean, that environment, that environment, it's going to be, it's going to be a special place to play moving forward when they're in the big 12 as well. Um, But yeah, like the whole Blake Shapen thing, I think that if you're going to do that, the offense that they were running, if you have Gary there, you have an extra threat to run the ball. Like, I think that if Gary Bohannon had played that game and we had stuck with that game plan, I think Baylor wins that game. Um, say that again? I just said potentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I also wanted to point out, I think one of the biggest key moments in this game was at the end of the second half. I mean, end of the first half when – Baylor was down 3-0. They go down and score a touchdown. Go up 6-3 with a minute 37 left in the game. And at that point, I think we're thinking, all right, Baylor has found its groove. They're going to go into halftime with a lead, come out, and hopefully keep this thing going. But yep. 137 left. BYU gets the ball back. And – they go all the way down the field, score a touchdown on a on an absolute absolutely great pass from Jaron Hall. I mean, that pass to put the touch, BYU, the touch on that pass. Yeah, that was that was that was beautiful to watch, painful to watch, but a very beautiful pass. Um, but I think that put a dagger in Baylor's hopes of of kind of turning this game into what they wanted to, which was one where Baylor had control, then they could have run the ball like they did and used the clock, um, kept the lead. But uh, that was a killer drive at the end of the first half. It was a killer. Last two minutes of the half, minute 35, you know, they, they go the length of the field and it was perfectly thrown um, – thrown ball there to uh, 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 Chase, right? Um, To Chase Roberts, you know, so so soft, you could have delivered an egg um, on on top of that football and it wouldn't have broken, right? Um, Really perfect and and definitely turned the momentum around. Uh, And and to your point, I completely agree, right? If, If Baylor goes up, uh, even the smallest things make a difference. If they go up seven, if they go up into halftime up seven, three, and then get the ball back in the second half, then I think Pernay, you're exactly right. They can do a lot of the things that they want that coach Dave Moran wants to do uh, control, control the tempo, uh, dictate the pace of play. Um, you know, all, all of those things, let their defense get rest and, and be fully rested when they have to go back out on the field. But it was just, basically flawless ex- execution by Jaron Hall and, and Chase Roberts who Chase Roberts has to be the, the player of the game. I, I think, you know, he had 122 receiving yards, the touchdown, and then the uh, second touchdown uh, pass uh, where he passed it back to, <clears throat> to Hall on that, on that little bit of trickery in the second half, uh, which was a, that was a bad, you know, to me, I think that was a little bit more of a backbreaker of a, of a play, uh, because to Aranda and the Bears' credit, they came out right after halftime and they went right down the field and scored a touchdown. 
uh, they were unfazed in that environment. They could have easily folded up, up um, a little bit or at least been rattled enough not to go out and execute or play with a sense of urgency in this to start the second half. Right. Uh, but they come out and start the second half and they, you know, they score a touchdown. Uh, they, they regain the lead and then their defense bends, not breaks, holds, holds BYU to a, to a field goal there. And it's basically back and forth the whole night, whole night uh, before BYU has a little bit of trickeration. And then Baylor responds yet again. And they respond with a touchdown pass from Blake Shapin to tie the game at 20 all um, with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. And then Blake really doesn't throw a pass the rest of the night. That, that to me is what's just so baffling uh, because he was throwing the ball in the second half looking, you know, decent and then just vanished. It's like, it's like we lost a plane. We just have no clue what's happened. We're looking for that little black box. That's a great analogy. Um, and yeah, speaking of Chase Roberts, that dude is absolutely the player of the game. I mean, we went into this game with BYU's top two receivers not playing, Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney. And you kind of expect the passing game to take a hit because when a team loses their top two receivers, there's a question as to who's going to step up. And for BYU, Chase Roberts stepped up and played like a, a superstar. Yeah. Eight, eight, yeah. eight catches, 122 yards, and a touchdown, as well as that trick play passing touchdown to Jaron Hall. I mean, he came out of nowhere to me. Obviously, we don't we don't know as much about BYU as, as their as the people who cover them, and we'll be bringing on Ben Criddle from ESPN Utah Radio to talk about more talk more in depth about BYU's team and their win but what a game Chase Roberts played and going back to that drive at the end of the first half like you mentioned Baylor Baylor comes out of the second half and and responds take that 13 to 10 lead but imagine if BYU had it hadn't driven down at the end of the first at the end of the first half Baylor's up 6-3 going into halftime, then they come out and score another touchdown, and you go up 13-3 to at that point, I think they kind of would have put the game away. I think they would have for sure taken control and, and, and won the game comfortably. But those are the moments that define great teams. And BYU proved last night that it is one of the great teams in college football this season. Yeah, I'm. I'm not so sure about about that. Um, I think I think we have to give a BYU just a bit more credit than um, than that. But but yes, going going up if if Baylor can score right at the end of the first half and then get the ball and, and score the start in the second half, they certainly have momentum. They're controlling the game uh, even as it stands. Right, Baylor controlled the game anyway. Their time of possession was 34 minutes. BYU's time of possession was 25 minutes. So um, they did what they wanted to do anyway. Uh, I don't think 13-3, while it would have put Baylor in the driver's seat, I don't think that necessarily means the game's over, especially as uh, Jaron Hall was, you know, really a dynamic playmaker for, for the Cougars all night. And 
uh, like, like you said, you know, Roberts really stepped up for the Cougars as well. When, when we had Jake Yachton, uh from Locked On Cougars podcast, you know, he, you know, he, he told, he told us, he told us as much, like they weren't, there was no concern from the BYU side whatsoever that they were missing their top two receivers, uh, at least on paper, right? There was no concern. They knew somebody else was going to step up. They knew they figured uh, and believed in their depth across all positions. And, you know, so they, they weren't really concerned um, either. And it marks for the second straight year, Baylor's gone on the road. A big announcement has been made um, prior to kickoff saying that one of the, their opponent's star players is out and will not be playing. And then that team, you know, uh, pulls off the upset anyway, right? To your point about controlling the game, um, you know, Baylor did have did win the time possession game. What killed them, what was killer for them, were were the penalties. And I think we both wanted to talk about the, the penalties a little bit, right? Pranay, like how did you see that as shifting the momentum? Because that just to me, that that felt like uh, it killed drives early and often and all night down to the the final possession in double overtime. Andrew, do you have the numbers on how many penalties and penalty yards Baylor had last night? I do, I do. So penalties dogged both teams all night. Baylor had more. They had 14 penalties for 117 yards. BYU had nine penalties for 74 yards. Um, Baylor's penalties, six of them were on the off uh, were on the defense, and eight of them were on the offense. Uh, and so, so the offensive line, yeah, holding blocks in the blocks in the back and false starts really, really killed them. I think that would be my major gripe with the offensive line is just how, like, how were they not more disciplined? Uh, because they shouldn't have created some of those penalties. And there were a couple early, early on in the in the night, early in the first half, like second, third drives, where Baylor had some some runs where our guys kind of got to the edge, right, and they were called back due to a holding or a block in the back that were really just not needed at all. It didn't affect the play at all. Um, but it put us behind the sticks, uh, quite heavily, but, but yeah, 14 penalties for 117 yards. It's been a while. Uh, wrote a recaps on some major takeaways from the game on it's on bears illustrated, but one of those was, I'm pretty sure it, it just felt like to me that this was the first time, you know, we've had so many penalties, uh, since since the Art Riles uh, era era where we were just you know one of the most penalized <laughs> penalized teams in the in the nation, but uh, that's that's a hard game to win if if you're going on the road in that environment against a tough tough opponent ranked opponent, and you have 14 flags for 117 yards, that it's going to be tough to win. Yeah, it, it changed the game for sure. I mean, holdings and illegal block in the backs like you mentioned, those are about discipline, especially when they're away from the play. And you don't expect a Dave Aranda coach team to play with that kind of lack of discipline. But they did last night and it absolutely killed them. Um, 
but there there is a silver lining to this game. Baylor committed all those penalties, made mistakes, missed kicks, um, probably didn't play with the best game plan for the way that game was going, and yet still went to double overtime in BYU. I mean, in Provo against a a probably top 10 in the country BYU team. So the road is still clear. There is still so much that this Baylor team can accomplish this season. Big 12 play hasn't started yet. And as of this moment, I think Baylor definitely looks like the best team in the Big 12. And the CFP hopes aren't dead either. If Baylor can somehow run the table for the rest of the season, and I think that they should be favored in every game, even at Oklahoma and at Texas, even after Texas almost beat Alabama yesterday. If Baylor can run the table, if you're a 12-1 and Big 12 champ with your only loss coming at BYU, who – we don't know. They play Oregon next week. They play Arkansas and Notre Dame later in the season. By the way, Notre Dame. I think, I think BYU is going to beat them after Notre Dame loses to Marshall. Um, but, yeah, if that's your only loss and you're a 12-1 Big 12 champ with wins at Oklahoma and at West Virginia, who looks really good, and at Texas, I feel like there's still a good shot that Baylor's in this thing come the end of the season absolutely you know I, I think I think they're in it until um you know until the wheels really fall off and and this is nothing to just you know to get down about right to hang your he- heads about you know you and I both had BYU in the in the CFP conversation uh well in the off season in some of our earlier podcasts so this was not not a surprise um the, the only surprise of the game was was what happened with the coaches just totally losing trust in Blake Shapin, uh, who was who was of course picked over Gary Bohannon, the incumbent starter from last year uh, in in spring camp, and you know them saying, "Hey, this is the guy that's really going to take us to the next level," uh, because we of course didn't see that uh, on Saturday night, but it was only his fourth start ever. I, I wanted to mention this um the you know we talk about penalties by like if i'm byu like the penalties on baylor were bad and i think you can chalk some of that up to right like mass confusion like they had two false starts at the goal line in double overtime they had false starts throughout the evening um right there was some undisciplined play like all that you can you can coach out of it, even the illegal lock, uh, illegal block in the back. That's usually like a hustle penalty, right? Like it's bad and you shouldn't do it, but you're hustling to throw a block downfield. And that's why that, those things type, you know, sort of happen. So I think a lot of that's correctable. Um, and, and none of them by any means were, were just bad or bonehead or really extended drives besides the, you know, the roughing the kicker, which was actually running into the kicker and Dylan Doyle's targeting penalty. Um, but if I'm BYU, I'm looking at the BYU penalties 
as much more egregious and worse than than Baylor. Because if I'm a BYU fan thinking like, how do I get in the playoff or uh, or what have you, you know, at some point you have to run the table, yes, but at some point style points matter. And BYU probably could have made a bigger statement and and won this game, right? If they played to their level of, of what I'm sure BYU fans are thinking they're capable of, uh, they could have probably, you know, won this game by 10 points or something in regulation, right? Uh, they had three of their penalties, three of their penalties were personal foul of the personal foul variety that extended Baylor drives to give them a touchdown. So on all three Baylor touchdown scoring drives, they were all three of them were extended by BYU personal foul penalties, 15 yarders for illegal chop blocks and face masks that set Baylor up in a much more advantageous position, which I just found crazy. And then with about six minutes left in the game, right there, BYU is going for a fourth and two. I would have loved to see this play uh, play out because it was such a pivotal moment uh, in the game, strength versus strength uh, of, of each team. Like you mentioned, D- Baylor's speed line versus BYU's O-line. And, you know, Blake Freeland flinches for a false start and BYU has to punt it. And then ultimately BYU misses all those field goals and we go double overtime and they still win anyway in the storm of the field. And it was a lot of fun if you were uh, anybody but a Baylor fan on on Sunday early morning, right? Safe um, to say. Safe I just to say. Wanted, to, I wanted to point that out. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Baylor had drive extend. I mean, BYU had drive extending penalties on each of Baylor's touchdown drives. And that was for sure a huge boon to the Bears last night. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you a question. What what were your emotions when BYU was, you know, on that final drive of regulation and then missing both their kicks that would have been obviously game winners? Oh, I mean, ups and downs, right? Like um, yeah, for sure. You said 35, 35 yard field goal at the end of regulation, and then it was a 37 yarder in overtime. So you expect them to ba- to make the kicks and then when when they miss the kicks it's like it's a feeling of elation um i could relate that to i'm an eagles fan so a couple of years ago eagles played the bears in the playoffs eagles go down and, and score a touchdown drive and then the bears are driving and they have a, ki- a kick to win the game and it's a double doink it hits the 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 upright and then hits the crossbar and then it falls out and the Eagles win the game. So I think the missed kicks by BYU here gave me a feeling very similar to the feeling I got from the Eagles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. I just can't imagine being a BYU fan because they basically just tried very hard to give the game away. Um, and, and they obviously couldn't do it. They even missed that two point conversion at the end. Right. So Baylor was at the five yard line and with an opportunity to score, I think they, I think Baylor mismanaged. They should have used a timeout before the third, uh, third and goal play, which they actually had a false start before that play. I think there was just a whole sorts of confusion. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to be made of like, a lot of people suggesting that the offensive line wasn't playing well or, um, and that, you know, we should have passed more, but 
running was our bread and butter and our strength. And we were, everybody knew what we were going to do, run it straight up the gut basically. And nobody could stop us. Uh, and they, they still couldn't stop us, um, essentially. Right. Um, and so I know there's a lot of questions like, why didn't we throw it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, Jul Julie Andrews, at, you know, asked that we talked about that because Blake Shapin threw that touchdown pass to Ben Sims to tie the game with 10.01 left in regulation. Uh, he did not throw a, another ball for the remainder of regulation. And then he, uh, he threw one, two, three, three times in the overtimes. Um, what, what, what do you think happened there? You know, I, I call it the Baylor coaches just lost trust and faith in Blake. What, what do you think happened with, you know, the game plan changing? I honestly don't feel like it was the coaching staff losing their trust and faith in Blake. I think it was more of, they thought the identity of this team is running the football and and maybe when you break it down, it's not like they planned to – I don't – It definitely was not planned. Yeah, I don't know if they were like, all right, we're just going to keep running the ball. But it's more of like each play, you look at the play – you look at the play sheet and maybe they were like, I think this is the best play for this moment or for this situation and it ended up being a run each time. I'm more inclined to think that was the case. Because I I couldn't really understand why they would lose faith in Blake Shapin. I mean, I, I agree. They named him the starter. That's just from an outsider perspective, you know, just watching uh the game, that's that's what it that's what it seemed like. That's what it that's what it felt like. Oh and no, yeah, I definitely understand why you and, and others would feel that way, but I just I don't think I don't think they've lost trust in Blake. I certainly hope they have. Yeah, to be clear, I think I think they'll have trust, you know, in the next game and the next game. You know, I, I think it was just in the moment. They didn't want him to do anything like in, in the moment. And it very much felt like the overtime of the 2019 Big 12 championship game, where Baylor basically didn't have an offense. And once it went to overtime, you know, it was it, <laughs> we were kind of dead to rights once Oklahoma scored, right? Um, yeah. we just we just couldn't move the ball. Um, and just, just, just wild, right? Just, just wild because I, I just wanted, you know, at that moment when you're in overtime, I have to believe you're throwing original game plans, thoughts, everything that's happened before you're throwing everything out the window. You're just trying to win the game. And that's where I thought like we could have gotten a little bit more creative with, um, like, like a QB draw near the goal line or get out in space near the goal line. And I think they were actually trying to do that, but the penalties killed um, killed some of those play calls when Josh Fleeks went in and everything like that. So, so maybe it was a mixture of both. But I, I thought like a uh, a design run for Shapin or you know getting him to just use his legs and have put the ball in his hands to win it or lose it would have been would have been good. But it was miraculous just seeing Baylor pick up first down after first down in the most dire of moments uh, with the offensive line, you know, just clearing the way for him uh, to get all the way down to the five yard line, truly thought Baylor was uh, at least going to score a touchdown, if not win the game with a two point conversion. I thought we were at least going triple overtime for sure.
It's how these things fall sometimes. It's tough. Tough game, but not all hope is lost. Yeah. And quick plug, the defense was outstanding. Last year, Baylor only gave up 67 rushing yards to BYU. This year, they only gave up 83 <laughs> rushing yards to BYU on the road. Uh, obviously, and, and they only gave up 26 points in two overtimes on the road. Very reminiscent of the double overtime game in Morgantown from 2020. Just the Bears defense, they forced, they forced, they, they held them to BYU to three of 14 on third down conversions. Uh, you know, they got the ball back time and time again. They made stop after stop. They held BYU to field goals um, basically all night, right? And just need to give a plug because for some reason, again, everybody thought Baylor's defense was going to be decrepit this year after losing guys to the draft and, you know, everything of that nature. Uh, you know, maybe this performance puts some of that to bed because they were, you know, they played very well, despite not even getting a turnover. Yeah, the defense was very good last night, very respectable. And outside of that that two-minute drill drive at the end of the first half, they didn't hurt this team in any way. The secondary probably has to improve, but even they were not bad. Like, they were covering receivers. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be – interesting season moving forward but thank you guys all for listening and hopefully you you see you see the bright future that Baylor has this season as well as as well as moving forward